We are SC Podcast Sunday Morning Cornerback Edition. Gary Pasquitz and Daryl Rideau. And Daryl, the scoreboard says right now 28-27 for USC coming out of that game, and that's certainly a good result, uh, one that feels very satisfying today in terms of where it puts the Trojans uh, in, in the Pac-12 standings for the remainder of the season. But this was not <laughs> this was not a road route of to getting the victory that was easy by any means. This was an up and down football game, a tale of two halves. However, you want to look at it. What are your immediate takeaways on what we saw last night? Well, you know, each team, especially with the more recent history with USC, um, you know, playing up in Utah and then Utah trying to figure out a way to finally get a victory in the Coliseum. I thought that each team came out with a game plan that they both felt comfortable with that would lead to a victory. Now, one team in the first half, Utah, seemed to execute that game plan a little bit more crisp than what we've come to expect from this USC team that is still trying to find its rhythm. I never questioned the team's identity, Gary, but sometimes the rhythm of the game oftentimes allow a team to linger around a little longer and too close for comfort. And that's what I felt like with USC's miscues in the first half, which led to Utah's confidence going into halftime. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about a few of those. I mean, you, you, you have a nice drive on the opening possession. You get down into USC territory and, and then a fumble. Uh, there are three turnovers total in the first half that led to 14 Utah points. Uh, there was a few missed tackles, more than a few in the first half. That that was definitely yeah. an issue with the USC defense. And credit Zach Moss for that uh, in, in a big way. You got you got Uchenna Nwusu lining up, you know, get offsides twice. That's a senior captain. We don't expect that from Nwusu. Um, and then, like you say, Zach, Zach Moss running all over the place. So, like you say, it just felt in that first half like no, nothing going right. But you know, out of rhythm, as you say, it just seemed like let's get out of our own way heading into halftime. It was tough, but then something changed. Yeah. Uh, at at yeah. halftime, what do you think that locker room was like? What did you take away from that first half? Yeah. Well, well, to go back uh, to, and I made this comment to you when I sent you a message, Gary. Okay, the four captains coming out of the tunnel mm-hmm. was fourteen Sam Darnold, thirty-five Cam Smith, forty-two Nwusu, and then Harris, a uh, four. Okay. Hawkins. What that told me was, I'm sorry, Hawkins, right? Mm-hmm. Four. Yeah. My, yeah, my apologies, Chris Hawkins. Um, what that tells me is with three of the four captains being on the defensive side of the ball and many of the first-half miscues that you just alluded to, missed tackles, you know, um, uncharacteristically um, lining up offside and, and allowing for Utah to extend, uh, extend drives just mm-hmm. by these unforced errors, told me that, these are correctable things because it's coming on the side of where your leadership is. Now, if and I understand that many of those um, turnovers on the offensive side um, led to points, but, again, it was somebody who could handle that. It was Darnold, Darnold being the one who touches the ball. So I, I felt like he's someone who can atone for those mistakes, and the defense is someone who can be held accountable going into the second half. So that gave me a sense of – of, um, of satisfaction and knowing that if the coaches had to get hard on a player, it wasn't the young players whose emotions can be erratic at times. It was leaning heavily on your, the, the veterans who were uncharacteristically making unforced errors. So what would that conversation might have been like in the locker room? While many might have expected a rah-rah, 
you know, getting uh, fire brick and mortar. It wasn't that. It was, okay, let's settle down. Let's get back to the basics. You guys are better than this. You know you're better than this. Let's just play fundamentally sound football. The reason why Utah is lingering and, and, and took a commanding uh, lead uh, coming into the halftime was because of the unforced errors that were caused by the men in this room. Those are correctable moments. There's 30 minutes of football remaining, and there was an opportunity to atone for those mistakes. And, boy, did they come out with the concentration that you would expect from a team with this type of experience. And that is interesting because, yeah, you, you have certainly been in locker rooms when Ed Orgeron, I'm sure, delivered a, a halftime speech or two that was full of that fire and brimstone. Um, but that's not Clay Helton style. And in terms of him having the pulse of this football team, uh, what you just talked about right there, it, it obviously worked. Let, let's talk about how the Trojans came out in the second half, um, getting the ball on the, on the opening possession of the third quarter with the ball in their own two-yard line. And boom. Uh, Darnold begins the march. You have the fantastic catch on fourth and nine from, uh, yes. from Tyler Vaughns that, that, hey, Sam was under some pressure too on that play. But you march 99, 98 yards, and that was the first of three long drives. And what I, what I really like, Daryl, is seeing the additional commitment to the run game. It wasn't a huge increase. You ran the ball 14 times in the first half, 19 times in the second half. But it felt like you were settling down with an offensive line that performed well in the second half. Give credit to them. It but it yep. just seemed like that balance was a little bit more in the second half. But, 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 Gary, you talk about what might have changed. Well, if you're going to criticize this coaching staff and you're going to criticize these players for the lackluster performance in the first half that led to the turnovers, then you have to give them credit for the attention to details. And then the first detail that I noticed was in the first half – I thought that uh, Darnold's distance from the center to where his landmark was, where he caught the ball, mm-hmm. it, the spacing was off, and it did not allow for him to give clean exchanges to the running back, such as Rojo. Okay, mm-hmm. So Jump what did the coaching staff do? They moved him under center a few times. And just by doing that, it gave the offense a rhythm and a timing to allow the, the, um, to allow the receivers to get downfield but also to hold those linebackers where they had to read and react, okay? The other thing that I love was to flip on the other side of the ball, okay? The secondary did not have their best performance by no stretch of the imagination, and at times there were a few players in the secondary that were being targeted. So what did this coaching staff do? They made personnel adjustments. They took out key players give them a chance to watch the game from the sideline for a few series, which allowed for them to go back and implement their game plan. They moved out Iman Biggie Marshall. They brought in Isaiah Langley. Langley is a traditional cover corner who seemed, the matchup seemed to favor his skill set a little better than it did uh, Biggie. And with that being said, it allowed for the, the interior part of the defense, safeties, linebackers, to hug up in the box to take care of that uh, that that running game that was just gashing them in the first half. Yeah, I loved uh, Zach Moss went for over 100 yards in the first half, only had 28 yards uh, in the second half. But I want you to talk about what we saw from Cameron Smith 
um, yeah. in, in that football game. He's got four picks. He had three of them against Utah two years ago, adds another one in, in this game. But 16 tackles, Daryl, that's incredible. But what I loved, and we talked about it earlier, just that, that, that physical matchup with him and Zach Moss, that was a treat to watch. Well, sometimes there's a game within a game, and, and when you get the, 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 the caliber of players like Moss and, and, and Cam Smith, what I love about it is they rose to the occasion. There were times where um, Smith delivered a blow, but then there were other times where he, you know, he was on the on the short end of Moss delivering a blow too. But what you you love most about it is those guys have a tremendous amount of respect for one another's uh, capabilities, and it just made the game within the game fun to watch. Let me talk about a couple of guys on the defensive line because you, you, you talk about the job that was done slowing Moss. Uh, Josh Fatu, Daryl, seven tackles, one sack, and two tackles for loss, and Christian Rector with six tackles and two sacks, currently leading the Pac-12 in sacks. Those two guys I thought were as key as anybody uh, up front for the Trojans. Absolutely, and at the beginning of the year, if you were circling which, which guys would be contributing you know, or you would have to depend upon, I'm not sure if those are the first two names that come up. But, you know, if you're looking at the next man up mentality, these guys taking advantage of key reps and opportunities, what can you say about Rector, though? Uh, from the time that he stepped in and you're wondering, where, how are you going to replace the production that you were getting from uh, Dustin Porter? Look no further than the, than the play of Christian Rector. He's yeah. taking advantage of every key opportunity, and it just seems like his play is infectious. And he commands so much attention from the offensive line that I think that the other defense, uh, the defensive linemen are benefiting from his presence. And then so even with all that good, uh, the, the, the Trojans go up uh, at the end of the football game. Ronald Jones does a flip into the end zone. Well, gets flipped into the end zone, uh, tries to stick the landing, as he says. But so the Trojans do go up 28-21 with less than five minutes to play. Utah marches right down. They put the ball in the end zone 28-27 with less than a minute to play. Kyle Whittingham, we've seen him go for fourth downs before. Last year they were very successful in it. We know he's going to make that kind of choice, and he decides to go for two. I thought one of the most underrated things in the game was Clay Helton calling the timeout at that moment, which was not an easy choice for him to make. Um, if, you, if you don't stop them, that was your last timeout, and now you have no timeouts to try to, try to move down the field. But right. more importantly, I think, for what worked, and you, you explained this as a defensive player, the chance to gather yourself, to take a breath, and you talk to players afterwards, they said, our coaches talked to us about the exact play that Utah ran. Talk about that decision to call a timeout and how well it worked out for the Trojans. Well, I, I thought that holding on to that timeout and using it at that critical moment was essential to the victory in this game. Because if you recall, Gary, um, a little earlier when Utah goes for it on fourth down, it was fourth and one. And to a man, all 11 players were expecting Moss to, to receive that ball, and it was a play-action pass. Right, And those right. tight ends were running unabated up the field. Both of them, okay? yeah. <laughs> Both of them. I mean, it was just like everybody was selling out, and there were like two ships passing in the night, okay, <laughs> um, down one-way streets or something. So my, my point is this. You needed that timeout, if for nothing more, to reinforce assignments to make sure that everyone understood their their key assignment and you can look guys in the eye to see who was dialed in. And to a man, 
it appeared as though everybody might have been dialed in because of the way that that USC's defense responded on that play. They all felt like they knew what was coming. It's one thing to know what is, what is coming, but it's another thing to execute your assignment when you've got a guy who is as versatile as Troy Williams and who gashed USC at times in the past. So give a lot of credit to the discipline of that defense, especially being on their heels and knowing that if they give that play up, that the offense is left, is left with less than one minute left and doesn't have a lot of time. But, Gary, let me ask you this. How much confidence does a Clay Helton have in that if the defense might have given up the two-point conversion, giving the ball back to the offense, knowing that a few weeks back when they played against Texas and they needed a touchdown with less than, you know, a minute and a half to go, that offense was able to march down the field. So, dial, you know, going back and, and summoning some of those experiences, how much do you think that that might have played into Clay Helton's decision to call it his final timeout at that moment? I'm, I'm sure it played a little bit into it. He knew he had Sam Darnold, and Sam had led three touchdown drives in the second half that were 88 yards or more and 11 plays or more. So I, I don't doubt that that did factor into the decision to have Magic Sam sitting next to you on the sideline. Uh, but kudos to Ajayna Harris for the open field tackle. That was solid. And I'm very glad that Troy Williams didn't spot Darren Carrington running wide open along the back of the end zone. Oh, my goodness. And that's a play that might haunt him. And I hate to say it, but sometimes there are plays when you go back and you just wonder, you know, where was his eye discipline? But uh, I thought it was very gutsy for Kyle, Kyle Willingham to go for it like that when, you know, um, when clearly he may have felt like his team has had, had the momentum. But I'm just glad that, you know, again, the game ended the way it did because it really shaped the narrative of what this team is and has been all season long. More than a comeback, I mean, a second-half team, Gary, this is a team that when they are focused, USC that is, when they are focused and they are dialed in, they are capable of competing with anybody in the country. But when they're off their game, they allow for teams to linger around too long with their self-inflicted wounds. Uh, and, and turnovers. And so sure. this is something that you, you think that on a game-by-game basis they would be able to clean up. And once they figure out how to play a consistent game, we may see the best version of this USC team to come. Let me uh, – I'm going to run down on a couple individual players or uh, stats here just give a quick comment on each of these. USC did not give up a sack yet got to Troy Williams four times. Huge. Yeah. yeah huge. Sam Darnold, three, 358 passing yards. There were, there were fumbles, but there was no interceptions. Uh, there could have been one early on, but there wasn't. Um, like you say, love seeing under center, love them huddling up later in the game, love them changing tempo. All of those things, Daryl, seem to fit into what Sam Darnold feels comfortable doing on a football field. I, and I think so. And, and sometimes you need to huddle up just to kind of catch your breath. And that's why you got to give credit to this coaching staff of recognizing when this offense needs a change of pace and what it's going to take to kind of re-energize this team. They gave the offense, they gave the team what was necessary in order for them to settle down and kind of find their rhythm within the game. But I'm glad that they were able to show long-sustaining drives because that confidence, you can take that on the road when you'll need it most going up into South Bend, Indiana. 
we've been talking about the wide receiver group all year saying, hey, we got to get that settled. You, you need someone to step up. You need to get guys back from injury. Um, if you've got a trio leading the way for the wide receiver group of Deontay Burnett, Tyler Vons, and Stephen Mitchell, they combined for 20 catches last night. And I thought that was a, as good of an example of this trio can lead the way. This trio is fine if that's what we have coming in the rest of the season. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And then I thought we saw flashes of Pittman. If you can, yeah, you know, nice. kind of get Pittman into shape with his big frame and body. But no the doubt. trio that you just mentioned, uh, they're very formidable. And this is the group that, you know, if you can keep them together for the rest of the season, I think that, you know, again, the best version of this receiving core is yet to come too because they provide each other the spacing, the depth, and and the discipline needed for Sam to feel like he has a full array of options. Um, but make no mistake about it. I thought that the most critical part of the first half, Gary, in terms of keeping USC around, was the tight end play. I, I was uh, just about to say that, yeah. We were all excited about the return of Daniel Imitor Bebe. It wasn't Daniel who made the big plays in the tight end spot. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I was thinking Josh Follow. How about Follow? And I, I was going to say, look, I, at one point I counted, I think, his third catch. Out of three catches, uh, you know, all season long, two of the three uh-huh. catches, uh, for follow have turned out to be touchdowns. And it's only because, you know, defenders are not paying attention to him because there's not a large sample size of his skill set. But I'll tell you what, Gary, the way that Stanford in the years past have been able to effectively utilize tight ends and it mm-hmm. caused mismatch or matchup problems, uh, follow presents the same type of challenge with his long frame. And, and he's a tweener, Gary. He looks like the big receiver playing tight end. And, and, and a matchup like that will always favor him because he's always going to be matched up against a slower tight end or a smaller safety. You've got to love what this offense can do and, and will be capable of doing with the full array of, of resources moving forward. Uh, obviously, Rojo last night goes over 100 yards again. I think that's 13 straight games that he's played in with a touchdown. Love what we saw from him, but I, I want to give mention to Vivai Malapii, uh, right here. Four carries for 42 yards. That man was running hard. And those were hard carries, Gary. Those, those were the physical type of carries that, that, that makes the team think twice. Going back into a huddle, a defensive huddle, and tighten up your chin strap, and, and you make sure that your shoulder pads aren't loose because he was bringing wood, and you're not going to arm tackle someone like that. But what I love most about Levi is we talk about this team, you know, wanting to pride itself on being a power running team. Mm-hmm. We'll look no further than his stature. His ability to move those chains will give this deep, uh, give this offense on short yardage situations um, a tremendous option for those short yardage, hard to, hard, hard, hard to get um, – carries but it's not just his running ability Gary it's his soft hands out of the backfield that I I think makes him as as versatile as anybody on this offense so when we're talking about that hard run that he's doing we 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 got to talk about the offensive line for a minute because I thought the offensive line in the second half um, especially when you're considering that we did not see Chuma Adoga uh, during yeah. that time frame. So in the second half, you basically had Andrew Voorhees at right guard and Austin Jackson at right tackle, a pair of true freshmen. And I didn't notice any shortcomings in what the offensive line was doing. And frankly, I looked at what Chris Brown and Nico Fallow were doing, and they were definitely right. leading the way. you got to give credit to those that offensive line. 
I mean, Gary, when you think about the fat nasties up front, and, and I say that uh, as a <laughs> as a term of endearment, okay, sure. because these are big sexies more so than fat nasties. But they want to play nasty, and you don't play nasty retreating back into a pass-blocking position. They want to pound the defender who's charging them half the game. So whenever you give the offensive line a chance to be the hammer and not the nail, they'll take it every time, any day of the week. And really, when you talk about USC being a power run team, you don't have to necessarily have a fullback, although I'd love to see one in the backfield, um, in order to effectively create the power that you need. But to give the, the offensive line an opportunity to, to pin their ears back and then drill a defensive player and, 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 and you know, surge them back three or four yards to give the running back space, that's all that you can ask for of this offense. And you notice how on those long sustaining drives, it was because of the play of Rojo and Levi that galvanized this team and really ignited energy into the Coliseum because the Boo Birds, Gary, and we have to mention the Boo Birds, the Boo Birds did come out in the first half because the expectation from a fan, from an alumni of this team is greater than the performance that we saw in the first half. And that's, I think, uh, definitely something that we're taking away from this. Yeah, let's not make any mistake. That was not a good first half of football uh, for the Trojans. Um, so as good as the second half was, uh, the first half was equally not good. But th- there's one thing that you've been saying all year, Daryl, as the Trojans are getting a win here, getting a win there. You've been saying the- these battle tests, if you will, uh, they're building credit. And it's gonna be, yeah. it's gonna pay off for the team later in the year. So as you're moving next week to a game like Notre Dame on the road in South Bend, um, it's nice to know that the team has shown the resiliency. You hope not to have that kind of first half, but they're showing, hey, we know how to overcome this. But make no mistake about it, this next this game next week is gonna be a big one. It, it truly is because you know th- this is your midterm, in my opinion. You're coming up against you know, a cross-sectional rival like none other, the emotions will be high, and you will get the best version of Notre Dame. But the self-inflicted wound uh, that that the offense causes, or the team causes, not just the offense, that the team causes that puts them in a hole, knowing that they understand various ways of creating winning brand football and getting themselves out of it is something that they can definitely lean upon. But if I'm Clay Helton and this coaching staff, I look no further than how they finish the game and how they finish the second half. Long, sustaining drives, clean mm-hmm. football, that's what you're preaching. That's what you want to see. And that starts with the clean work of um, a, a clean practice and a clean body of work before you jump on the plane. Well, the Trojans will be jumping on that plane sit, sitting at 6-1 and one, atop the Pac-12 South. Standing so at the end of the day they do control their own destiny the rest of the way but uh, hey it's Notre Dame week and if you're a Trojan fan you don't need to hear anything more than that so it'll be good we'll have our report after uh, after Wednesday practice but uh, it'll be fun so this is it for the Sunday morning cornerback for Daryl Rideau this is Gary Pasquitz you're listening to the We RSC podcast.